is my story. But most of all, this is the greatest story ever told. This is God's story. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside their dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, until this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. It's hard for us not to want to be like everyone else. It's in our relational DNA. While this is true of all seasons of life, including adulthood, there is no greater temptation than during the middle school years, that place in between childhood and adulthood. These are the years when we are least sure who we are, so we're so prone to want to be like everyone else. I was in middle school in the 1970s, the fashion gurus of that era said that long hair, bell bottoms, earth shoes, wide ties, and wide lapel shirts and suits were super cool. So that's what I wore. At that time, I thought it was pretty hot stuff. Looking back, I now cringe at how silly I looked. I never thought I would see the style return in my lifetime, but it has come back around again. Certainly, no one's going to fall for it a second time. Well, they did, and by the millions. No doubt this generation will look back on their fashion decisions with the same disdain I did. In chapter 10 of the story, the children of Israel are going through their junior high phase, I guess, because all they can think about is being like everyone else. The story of chapter 10 begins on a positive note. God opens up the womb of a woman and provides her with the child she longed for in the lower story. God loves to do stuff like that for us. She appropriately names him Samuel, which in Hebrew means heard from God. I love that. She turns around, as promised, and gives the child, once he's weaned, to Eli the priest to be used to serve the Lord full time. Each year she would make a little robe for her son and take it to him. God gives her five more children. Every year that little robe got a little bigger, and so did the assignment that God had in mind for young Samuel in the upper story. He is being raised by God to get Israel through a rough and awkward stage. Here's how it comes down. 
As Samuel is getting up in years, the people come to him and say, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. Samuel takes this personally and goes to God. God says back to Samuel, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Samuel goes back to the people and he pleads with them and reasons with them to change their mind. And here's their response. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Now, it's not recorded in the story, but I envision Samuel trying an old parent favorite in situations like this. If all other nations are asking you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? God allows them to have a human king. It isn't the way he envisioned it unfolding in the lower story, but it doesn't change the ultimate outcome of the upper story. God is still working out his promise to reveal his presence, his power, and his plan to get all people back. Why didn't God like the idea? God set Israel apart to be different. He started them from scratch, and they had no history but God. He grew them into a great nation and delivered them from amazing situations when the odds were stacked against them. He gave them their own land, and he has even come down to live among them in the tabernacle. He has blessed them beyond belief. There is no other nation like Israel, and for a reason. God has called Israel to be a part of his upper story plan. The best way for people to see God is for God himself to be their king. No layers of management between God and the people. But God somehow honors our free choice. The pathway they are choosing is going to be filled with difficulty, but God is going to let them give it a try. Some Bible scholars would say that this is not the perfect will of God, but his permissible will. The first king-elect is a tall, handsome man named Saul. Being a little on the short side myself, I tend to see all tall men as trouble from the get-go. We learn that the Ammonites overtake a group of Israelites. The Israelites beg the Ammonites to make a treaty with them, and they in return will come under their authority. The Ammonites tell them that they will make a treaty with them on one condition, that they gouge out their right eye, the right eye of every male. Now, the right eye was essential in battle as they held their sword. Of course, unless you're left-handed, which I am. Short, left-handed people rule. The story tells us that the Spirit of God came down on Saul in power, and he burned with anger. Saul leads the Israelites into victory over the Ammonites, and the people are fired up and make him the the first official king of Israel. God is doing everything in his power to set Saul up for success. Samuel says to them, are you happy now? Samuel tells them that what they have done is wrong, but God is allowing it. But here's the warning for both Israel and for the new king. You have to follow God. If you do, everything will work out. If you don't, it's going to be trouble. On two occasions, Saul is going to distort God's plan. Both involve battles. Let me tell you about the second one. God instructs Saul through Samuel to wipe out the Amalekites for what they did to Israel back when they first approached the land under Joshua. This was a holy war, and not for the purpose of expanding territory or or for taking their assets. Saul was to completely destroy everything and everyone. Of course, he didn't. He kept the king alive and kept the best of the sheep and the cattle. When Samuel came to town, Saul was happy to see him. 
Samuel heard that Saul had set up a monument to his own honor, which is never a good thing for a leader to do. Now, the dialogue's not recorded in the story, but it is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul says to Samuel, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Now, he either really believed that he did, or he was, he was trying to pull one over on Samuel. Samuel replies back, What is that bleeding of the sheep I hear in my ear? Bah, bah. What is that mooing or lowing of the cow I hear in my ear? Moo, moo. In the next verse, Saul says, and I paraphrase, Oh yeah, that. Listen to this. I kept the best sheep and the best cattle to offer up as a sacrifice to God. How about that? This is a classic case of rationalization. God's vision was to reveal himself and his plan to get us back through his relationship with Israel. And Saul is distorting or misrepresenting God, causing the people to get the wrong picture of God as cruel and greedy versus just and holy. Samuel tells Saul that God has rejected him as king. His actions are distorting the character of God to Israelites and to the surrounding nations. Saul's actions are now affecting the upper story plan of God. And that's not going to happen. God honors their lower story decision, even though it's not a wise one. Now, this decision is affecting the upper story plan. God will intervene and make a change. Find a human king who is one after God's own heart and will enable others to see God through his leadership. That is what we'll see in chapter 11. But let's not miss the opportunity to learn from Israel's misplaced desire to be like everyone else. God calls Christians to live distinctively different lifestyles. We are challenged by Jesus that all, although we live in the world, we're not to be of the world. Paul admonishes us not to let the world conform us into its own mold. We have a different call in our life to represent Christ to others by the way we live. Someone has said correctly, you and I may be the only Bible people ever read. We can't come to church every Sunday, have Christian bumper stickers on our cars, carry our Bibles around saying, praise the Lord, and then be known as the meanest house in the neighborhood, or act a different way in the home, or be cruel or unethical in the business place or school. When we do that, we misrepresent God and miss our true calling to align our lives to his upper story. God isn't looking for people who want to be like everyone else. He's looking for people who want to be like Christ. So which will it be for you? Good morning. I want to know how many short left-handed people are here. Because <laughs> I'm not. Well, I remember when I was five or six growing up in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, in the early 70s, and all my friends that lived on the same block as I had a, had a bike without training wheels. Robert, Lance, Danny, uh, Matthew, even Mikey. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have a bike. I had what they called a big wheel. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like a glorified trike. It's not cool, right? It was not cool. Uh, so I, there I was on, this, on the sidewalk with my little big wheel, and there's my friends on the street riding their bikes. Of course, they're going a lot faster than I am, and they're doing, having fun without me. And I remember thinking, I want a bike like them. I want a bike like them. 
And I'm sure that I had some funky 70s clothes just like everyone else did too. You know, I remember the tough skins from Sears. Anybody know what I'm talking about with the, with the patches in the knees? And I think there's a picture <clears throat> that's me in the middle with the cake. And uh, my friend wants to kill me there, guns. Um, <laughs> some friend, some friend he is. Wow, those fashions are pretty ridiculous. But there's another picture here uh, of some fashion here. I don't know. Some of you have seen that. That's Pastor Jim back in the early... That's, that's a real picture. Um, no, that's not. That's, that's not a real picture. That's pretty disturbing right there. Okay. You can take that picture off. <laughs> there, there's something in all of us that desperately wants to fit in. It doesn't matter if we're in junior high or we're in high school uh, or as adults. There's something within us that wants to be accepted by others, to be like everyone else, as the video was talking about. Yet on the other hand, um, we want to be unique. We want to be different. We want to stand out in some way, shape, or form. It's this constant teeter-totter back and forth of wanting to be like everyone else and fitting in and, and then wanting to be unique and different in our own way. But here's a funny you know, reality check. You are unique just like everybody else. You are unique just like everybody else. Let me ask you today, in all seriousness, where, where do you struggle to be like everyone else? Is it in your home? Is it your home? A certain car that you drive, a car that you want to drive, a, a job status, uh, income level, clothes, social circles, friends, team, it could practically be anything in our life. Most of us live our lives without really thinking about it. It's not on our radar all the time, but what is it like in your life that you want to be like everyone else, just like everyone else? What is it when you look in the mirror or when you join, the, join up with the team or you sit at the staff meeting table? What is it when you see your neighbor's house or car? What is it in your life that you are longing to be like everyone else. Well, a quick overview. The background of this chapter, chapter 10, begins with Hannah not able to have children. She went to the temple to pray intently to God and for her son, and God answers her prayer, gives her Samuel, who she then in turn returns him to the Lord. And he ministered before the Lord under the priest Eli. Then Israel, farther along in the chapter, loses a battle, and the Ark of the Covenant is stolen and, and taken. And Eli, the high priest, is, he falls to his death. Samuel was in charge, and he is getting old. He wants to put his sons in charge and leadership. And the problem is Joel and Abijah were not like Samuel, their father. And the Bible says they were greedy for money. They, they accepted bribes. They perverted justice. And the people reject Samuel's sons, and, and they name Saul as the, as the first king. And that goes really bad. Uh, he disobeys God's commands by performing the burnt and, and the fellowship offerings on his own without Samuel. And then Saul doesn't completely destroy the Amalekites the sheep and the, the cows, you could hear. But the part I want to zero in this morning is when the people of Israel told Samuel, the prophet, what they really wanted. 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting with verse 4, says this, Finally, the leaders of Israel, they met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old. Now, that's not very nice, is it? <laughs> you are old, right? And your sons are not like you. 
give us a king like the other nations have. And Samuel was very upset with their request, and he went to the Lord for advice. Do as they say, the Lord replied, for it is me they are reject, rejecting, not you. They don't, they don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them into Egypt, they have continually forsaken me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Verse 9, do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about how a king will treat them. Now, Samuel doesn't like this one bit. Um, I don't know if he felt rejected because uh, the leaders of Israel were rejecting his own two sons as leadership. He was not happy. He tells them what's going to happen. If you guys get a king, all right, if that's what you want, this is what's going to happen to you, okay? The king is going to draft your young men into battle. The king will draft bodyguards, secret, or in our case, in the United States, not so secret service, to run in front of the chariots. He will make them into slave laborers, the people. The king will take the best of your fields and your vineyards. He will use their property, their personal property, for his own gain. And he will demand a 10% task of their, tax of their harvest and flocks. And what was their response to all this? All this hardship that this king is about to bring to this nation. Yeah, and? Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. Verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the other nations around us. Our king will govern, will govern us and lead us into battle. We want to be like the nations around us. In other words, we want to be just like everyone else. Just like everyone else. Let's say that. Just like everyone else. A little louder. Just, like everyone just the ladies. Just the men. Just like <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> Other guys, that's funny. All right. See, it was a pretty wise move uh, for the elders of Israel to reject Samuel's sons as leaders. But it was wrong for them to ask for a king instead. The truth is, God knew that one day Israel would have a king. He knew that. 400 years earlier... God gave instructions to Israel about their future king in Deuteronomy chapter 17. So wanting a king in and of itself isn't bad. It wasn't bad. But it was the reason that Israel wanted a king that was wrong. It was the reason. They wanted to be just like and Being like everyone else is no reason at all for wanting a king. Verse 20, we want to be like the nations around us. We want to be like the nations around. We want a king to, to govern us and to lead us into battle. What's the big deal in wanting to be like the surrounding nations? What's, what's, really, what's, what's the harm in that? God was calling them out to be separate. God desired that His people, the nation of Israel, would represent Him to the rest of the world. That they would see the Israelites who didn't have a, a human earthly king ruling over them, but they would see that these people are different. They follow God. And they'd be utterly amazed. What's wrong with you and me trying to be like the world? What's the harm in adapting to the world's values, to the world's standards? What's wrong in being just like everyone else? Everything. See, this was a real turning point for the nation of Israel, right here. 
All kinds of events and circumstances began to unfold because they wanted to be just like everyone else. And we get into trouble, you and I, we get into trouble when we want to be like the world and do what the world does when we should want to be like Jesus. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 15, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So the question then begs to ask you, does the world hate you? Does the world love you? Based on this verse, well, how do you and I become like the world? We have to live here. We've got to work. We've got to earn money. We've got to raise children. How do we become like the world? When, when our actions, when our behaviors, our attitudes, our ethics, our standards, our words are no different from those who don't follow Christ. I know we don't wake up and logically think, you know, I'm going to act and talk and, and think like the heathen world today. We don't wake up thinking that. It doesn't happen. But we do wake up and unconsciously, uh, you know, we're on the teeter-totter of wanting to be just like everyone else. Just like everyone else. And then wanting to be like Jesus. It's the struggle, the internal struggle. Will we give in to the pressures of, of being like everyone else? I know, again, junior high, that's really when it's at its height because you really want to fit in. You really want to blend in and, and not stick out because you'll get made fun of and bullied and you just want to, it's so important. But I, I don't think it really changes as we get adults, as we get older. It comes in different ways. Or will we break the patterns and live differently as God's people? Whether we're at work, you know, at school, we're in the office, we're on the job site, we're, we're in our homes, we're at the store, we're in our car, wherever we're at, uh, it's different. Something about us is different. That was the goal of God. He wanted the people to see His, His people as different. Something's different about this, this nation. Why is there a pull to be just like everyone else? Why? Where does that come from? And at the same time, why do we want to be distinctive? Some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to be like everybody else. But deep down, there's a party that does. But then there's a part of you that wants to be like everybody else. And, and then there's a party that wants to be different, unique. We sometimes allow others' values and actions to dictate our attitudes and behavior. Let me rewind that. Sometimes we allow others' values and actions to dictate our attitudes and behavior. Watch this video clip right here. Excuse me. I know you didn't think anyone would catch you, but you just slammed your door into my car. The least you can do is say you're sorry, lady. You don't have to take that tone. It's not like I'm hurting your resale value. I'm sorry. See? Like that.
sugar date. But if spring is late and winter, it's a marshmallow world. It's the time for play. It's the Clip is the shopper going by the card there. That's, that's hilarious. Don't raise your hand, but uh, how many could easily see yourself in one of those two cars on any given day? I would have been surprised if there was a bumper sticker on either one of those cars that said, you know, uh, uh, Jesus is the answer or God loves you. See, that's, that's not a great witness for Christ. Sometimes... In that funny clip there, we, we imitate the world's standards when we should be imitating Christ. The Apostle Paul said in, in, in Romans chapter 12, very familiar verse, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And there's a lot of patterns out there, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? It's through the Word of God. Daily spending time with God. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you come to Christ, we are no longer under sin's power. But sin still affects the believer. We still live in a world that is influenced by sin and evil. And we are not magically you know, set apart from the world when we believe. That doesn't happen. But we are challenged and we are commanded to not just be like everyone else. We are to be set apart for Him, just like the nation of Israel, to be set apart. The Bible says that we are to be salt and light in this world so we can help redeem it for Him. We shouldn't be set apart. We shouldn't be so different for the sole purpose of trying to draw attention to ourselves, like this picture here. You know, this guy is trying to you know, draw attention to himself. That's, this happens a lot in our society. That's not what we're talking about. But the Lord, he, you see, He ruled over Israel, giving out His decrees and, and trying to, leading through His prophets and priests. That's what His goal was. The nation of Israel looked to judges, while the other nations of the world, they had their kings and their rulers. So what's the difference between a king and a judge? If you look back in the Old Testament, they're pretty common, right? What's the difference between a human king and a judge? The judge was, was, raised, was a leader that was raised up usually to meet a specific need in a time of crisis. The leader would come in, the crisis was over, 
usually the judgment back to doing what he was doing before. But a king, a king would establish a standing government, a bureaucracy, right, which is both a blessing and a curse for its people. Samuel judged all Israel with God reigning as king over the people. And because of this, the Israelites were like no other nation on the planet, and that they could claim the invisible creator God as their leader. But there came a point here that they didn't want that anymore. They didn't want God to be their leader. They wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to be like the other nations, and they somehow felt cheated that they didn't have a king, when in reality they had the Almighty God as their ruler and king. This weekend, NATO is in town, and, and there's a lot of people in the streets protesting all kinds of issues, and, and no doubt there are some who are just going along with the crowd. But I think we're no different sometimes. I read a blog this week about this story in 1 Samuel, and the blogger goes on to say this, I imagine it grieves the heart of God mightily when His people, when His children embrace another identity, not their own, when they settle for being just like everyone else. God's words to Samuel just drip with sadness. Here, my Israelites, go again, rejecting me for something far less satisfying. God could have easily said, no way, you guys ain't getting a king. I'm your king. But he didn't. God isn't going to pre-program us into loving and following him. He's not going to do that. If we want to follow a golden calf because that's what everybody else is doing, we're free to do that. He's not going to force us to follow him. Then the blogger asked this question. What if God wants us to pursue him every moment of our lives, not because it's easy, Not because it's what everybody else is doing, but because it's best. It's best. And we just go along with the crowd just like everyone else. It's much easier to be simply told what to do than to wrestle with a relationship with God. There are times that you and I, just just tell me what to do. Instead of wrestling in this relationship, on this journey with God. And that's what the people of Israel were willing to trade when faced with, the, with the, the choice between God leading them or an earthly king, the people of Israel preferred the, the hardship of a human ruler who they could see over a God who they could not see. That was their choice. So before you and I go and, and, and write off the nation of Israel as unwise or stubborn in choosing a human king, and why do they do that? Are we so different? Are we so different? Much of of the pain in our life comes from looking to others to fight our battles for us. But Samuel reminds us that God himself wants to guide us in the middle of our hardships, in the middle of the the circumstances that we face. We are to be different, to look to God for our help. We are to be led by him and not led by what the world dictates or, or led by our own wisdom and our own feelings at the moment. God wants to be king and judge in your life and mine. That's his desire. We are to be set apart to not be just like everyone else. Why? Well, because of the tremendous price Jesus paid for you and me. First Peter 2.9 says this, But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, 
God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him, to tell others of the night and day difference He made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. As people who follow Christ, we are to be different. We have gone from being rejected to being accepted all because of what Jesus did for you and me. And if you are here today and and you are not a disciple of Jesus, He invites you to come and die. To die to yourselves, your desires, your own leadership, to, to truly surrender. I wonder today, I surrender some. I surrender a little. Do we really understand surrender? Surrendering at all. Jesus invites you to take up your cross and to follow Him. He calls all of us to take up our cross and to follow Him. The people of Israel were not rejecting Samuel, the prophet or, or his ungodly sons, really. They weren't. They were rejecting God Himself. They were turning away again, sadly, from following his lead and all he had done for them and all he had brought them through. You see, it really must have broke God's heart to hear those words of rejection from his people. And I think we're no different than the people of Israel in that day. It still breaks his heart to hear those words from you and me today when we reject him because we want to be just like the longer I preach the less people repeat that <laughs> we reject him when we don't obey his commands which are there to protect us and to bless us we reject him when we fall when we fail to grow more and more like his son I guess the question that needs to be asked of you and me today is why would you want to be just like everyone else when God made you to be you? And that's a great question, but it goes deeper than that. We're not talking about you're unique because the reality is God made you unique. He wired you unique and special, and it's true. But there's a deeper question. Why would you want to follow the crowd instead of following Jesus? Jesus said in Matthew 7, Go in through the narrow gate. These are his words. Now think about what he's saying here. The gate to destruction is wide, and the road that leads there is is easy to follow. A lot of people go through that gate. You have family and friends right now that are on that road. It's true. They're following the crowd, they're going through the wide gate. But Jesus goes on to say, but the gate to life is very narrow. The gate to life. I thought I was living on the the, the wide road. No. The gate to life is very narrow. The road that leads there is so hard to follow that only a few people find it. Are you willing to find it today? Are you willing to find that narrow road, that gate, and to follow Christ and to lay everything else aside and say, I will follow him I will leave my family just like everyone else. 
That was what the people of Israel wanted and rejected God's leadership. They wanted to be like the other nations. That's really the story here. I wonder how many of us can hear ourselves saying those words to God rejecting His Lordship in our lives. What would it look like in your life if you pursued God as the leader of your life instead of being just like everyone else? What would that look like for you when it comes to obeying what God, God's Word says, when it comes to not bowing to the pressures of this world to really actually live for Jesus Christ and what He taught? What would it look like in this church? How would our lives impact our communities and neighborhoods and, and workplaces and schools, families? Where is the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your heart right now? What areas of your life are you just like everyone else? You see, Jesus not only wants to be Savior of your life today and to rescue you, by His grace, but He wants to be the Lord of your life. There's a lot of people I read, they want Jesus for His blood, Christian vampires. They want His blood to forgive them of their sins, but their lives don't change. He's not Lord of their life in this area, in this area, and, and all of us have to take a look at that. How we deal with people, how we interact, and how we you know, our jobs and our schools and, and, and everything. Will you surrender trying to be just like everyone else today? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we thank you for your word. And we know that um, this is very challenging as we looked at the story of the nation of Israel, and we see a bird's eye view of how it must have hurt you being rejected, that they wanted a king instead of you. And you didn't force them to follow you, to love you. You allowed them to follow through on their decision. And you do the same for us today, in 2012. You allow us to make our own decisions to be like everyone else, just like everyone else, and it must break your heart. I know there's many in this room today that follow you and they are Christians, but I wonder, Holy Spirit, what areas of our lives are we trying to be like everybody else? fearful that we will stand out, fearful that we will be noticed or speak to our hearts today. What a great lesson to, to look at and see and the challenge for us in this day to not be like everybody else but to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to follow him truly. Not in legalism, not in rituals and traditions that are meaningless, but to follow Jesus because he saved us, he loved us, 
His grace has been extended to us. And our response is to surrender everything to Him. And I know that we, it's a daily choice to surrender, a daily choice to come before the Lord and say, I need you today. I need your grace today. Help me to lead my family. Help me in my workplace. Help me in my marriage. Help me with my kids. Constantly wanting to be like Jesus, living our lives for him to be like him. So speak to our hearts today. Speak to us today. If there's any here, Lord, that maybe they don't know you, they're not a disciple of you, they would take up the challenge to, to follow you. The road is narrow. The place is hard. But if you find it, if you find Jesus, the reward will be worth it. So Lord, as I close this morning, help us to not be like everybody else when it comes to living our life for you and to be salt and light wherever we are. I know we'll fail. I know 15, 20 minutes after this service has ended, we may even forget what's been said today, but help us, quicken us by your spirit to be salt and light, to be unique, different for your sake, for what you've done in us so that we can help you redeem this world, bring others to this amazing truth of God's love through his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. In Jesus' name, amen.